0: Yes, of course. Burl Bear. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Oh. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker. Somewhere in the Los Angeles area, I am the legendary Burl Bear. the program True Crime Uncensored, produced with a lack of physical attitude. <laughs> By Magic Matt Allen. He's a very famous radio personality, you know,
1: and he makes the big bucks. And, but you're more famous in jazz. Oh, jeez. Give me a break. Yeah, me and Chaz Bono. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, you know where Mark C.G. Boyer is today? Uh, okay. He's, uh, he's gone back to the supermarket because the legendary Burl Bear, who's deaf, did not understand him saying, Here's the key to the car.
1: Please put the groceries in. Okay, first of all, <laughs> Yes. It, uh, it, it is his fault. Why? Because he should know I'm deaf? Yeah, and you, but you don't make that request of you. Yes. Period. You don't, no. No, no, you just simply don't. You, you think you'd like to think that you could. <laughs> but you can't. But you can't, and you mustn't, and it's, and it's stupid. So, you know, a little personal responsibility here, and I got to tell you, Burl. Yeah. I don't blame you on this one. <laughs> you don't.
0: No, he don't. should know that you can't, you can't give trouble instructions to a deaf man. <laughs>
1: no. Oh, no.
0: I got a bumper sticker that says that. <laughs> what? Oh, uh, uh, deaf commie on board? Yeah, deaf commie on board. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a big fan of small businesses, especially corrupt ones. Hi, O. Hey. Hey, this is a true crime program. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: We got plenty of that. It's summertime, you know, and the living's easy. The fish are jumping. The cotton is high, and so am I. No, I'm not. Actually.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Can you can you even mention the cotton these days? Can you uh, mention the cotton? Hey, hey did you ever see the movie Get Out? Uh, oh yeah, great movie. Great movie, and I love
0: that. How he escapes is by. Picking Cotton. Yeah,
1: brilliant movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The second one the guy made, I wasn't that thrilled with. No,
1: it was it was good. It was interesting and but. It, and it was <laughs> and it, and the end sort of blew me away. I didn't expect that ending. Uh but it was, you know, pretty bloody. Um, but it, yeah, if that one would have been his first one, he may not have had a second. Yeah. But because the first one was so damn good, because that that what's his name Peel, that guy, is, yeah, he's a talent. Talented, talented, talented yeah. yeah, yeah, he is.
0: And every one of the cast was great too. Oh my
1: God, they're just great actors.
0: Did you notice how at the uh, at the end of the film, when the chick goes after him, the one that he thinks is his beloved? Yeah. How they make her look different? They pull her hair back, and yes. she puts that like grease on her face or yeah, oil. Yeah,
1: she, she was spectacular. Yeah, she was. She is a, a spectacular actress.
0: And I like the guy who worked for the uh, <laughs> the uh, way the airport. Uh, I don't know. What do you call that? Uh, his buddy who came and rescued him at the end.
1: Uh, oh yeah. Well, the whole thing worked. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing was great. <laughs> if you haven't seen Get Out, go see that damn movie, or I mean, Reddit or whatever you have to do. But yeah, it's just, it is.
0: If it, you steal it, we'll have you on the true crime show. Yeah. It is superb. It truly is. Yeah.
1: Meanwhile... Although, although the same dude yeah, took a stab at uh, the Twilight Zone yeah. and made it all about uh, socially protected classes and politics, and it just sucked, even though... The argument could be made that well, Rod Serling did that, but he did, but he Rod Serling did More it in subtle. He, well, but not even not only that, bro in the most clever, brilliant, entertaining ways ever. Yes, and those who attempt remakes of the Twilight Zone, stop it. <laughs> stop, <laughs> Serling, don't bother. <laughs> Serling was the guy, is the guy, will always be the guy. He that you talk about brilliance. That's Peel. Brilliance times a thousand. Yeah, that's that's how brilliant Rod Sterling is. Was was yes, what? dead. Died young. Yeah, that was tragic. Yeah, died young. Gig young. You yeah, know. I remember the the, the, gig, the young, young brothers yeah. Yeah, and Honey Youngman. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, remember the with uh, William Shatner where he sits in the uh, in the diner? Yes, of course. <laughs> I love that. Oh one. yeah. I can not say for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know them all. I know them all because because they're they're brilliant. Ninety nine. 0.9% of those are brilliant. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> there was a year or two when, when he was producing hour-long versions of the Twilight right, Zone. Right, right. And uh, it, it, some of those are a little ponderous, but still beautiful. And because of Rod Serling, we got our Planet of the Apes. It, it, it was a 30... I believe it was a 30-minute Twilight Zone, and it was... Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. and they turned that concept into a movie. Well, good for them. Yeah. No and kidding. they still do it, too. Yeah, well, I think that franchise is over, I yeah, hope. Yeah, well,
0: I like the first one better, you know, with Charlton Heston. Oh, no, <laughs> it was
1: great. Yeah, you, nobody overacted like Charlton Heston.
0: Oh, yeah, he could bite the scenery better than almost anybody. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you, Chew it up. Chew up that scenery, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, you
1: gotta love that, dude.
0: Hey, I gotta tell you what I watched the other night. Yeah. Little Caesar, with Edward, the movie that made Edward G. Robinson a yeah. star. Oh, yeah, classic. Oh, God, it was it good. Yeah. And then I watched Dr. Ehrlich's Magic Bullet. Okay, I'm not. Also familiar. starring Edward G. Robinson. Ah. Ah. Yeah. yeah was well, all the greats are gone. Yeah, he was, uh, and uh, what was it? Uh, the one where they were making food out of people. Soil and Green. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's people. People. It's people. People. Oh, yes. <laughs> to serve man this is a cookbook. <laughs> Once again, back to the Twilight Zone. Yep. That's. Uh, pure brilliance because nobody and i mean nobody saw that coming no no uh uh-uh. and what about the one where they're in the uh the spaceship and we're assuming that they are they are leaving earth for a planet because their planet is about to uh combust right and, and they're in, and so that's the entire uh show until the very end and then the question is well what and they, they see the planet they're heading to what do you call that planet uh, well, son, that is uh, Earth. Yeah, I mean, come on, man, you just you don't get better than that. No, you don't. No, yeah.
0: Hey, remember the one with Agnes Moorhead? I think it was the hour-long version where. Yeah, of course. The little, the guys, little guys were the attacking
1: little her. Little UFO, little yeah. space creatures. Yeah. And the one with Red uh, Robert Redford playing uh, Mr. Death. God, Ooh. that was brilliant. You don't recall that one? No. Oh man. I miss that. You got to look that thing up on Netflix because uh, Robert Redford. See, he's one of those guys that uh, you you talk about a blessed human being. So incredibly good looking and a great actor. Yeah, you not know, just one or the other. Right. He was he was brilliant in this Twilight Zone. He was spot on brilliant, and he's so gentle and so and he ends up taking her life. But you you know everything is fine. Everything is fine. She's a very old woman. And she's afraid of Dr. Death coming to her door. And she never suspects that Robert is Dr. Death. Well, isn't she surprised? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> also like
0: uh, today Burgess Rob- Meredith can do no wrong. He was in the first one. Yeah. Remember when? All the time in the world. Yeah,
1: are you talking about the one where his glasses broke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. Then <laughs> he had the one where he had the stopwatch. Oh, yeah, another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Burgess Meredith, there's another, one, one of the greatest character you know, actors. When he
0: did that ever. movie with uh, John Wayne and everything about D-Day, the 6th of June, mm-hmm. they had to tie his hands, Otto Primminger had to tie his hands behind his back because it was such a scene stealer.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Did he do things with his hands to divert your attention away from whoever was talking to him?
1: Milton Berle, uh, who was my buddy for, for many years, and God, God bless him and God rest his soul, He told me uh, we were talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, Mad 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 World. Right. And he told me he said, "Yeah, Maddie, remember remember that scene in the cabs, and we're all getting back in the cabs, you know, because we we now know where where the big W W is, is, yeah. You know, and so we're all getting in, and we're all getting in." He said, "Notice the next time you watch that, how long it takes me to get into that cab." He said, "He said you'll watch me futzing around." I, almost in, out, in, out. He said, because I did that on purpose to be the last person in the scene.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. he learns
1: from Burgess Meredith. <laughs> he's, he's also the one who told me that uh, when taking a picture with folks that could be used for the press, always stand to the, uh, the, the far right. Always stand, be the, be the f- uh, far right person in a picture of several people. He said, that way, when they print it, your name is first. Oh, clever. This guy would, no. Well, it was Milton Berle. You know, this man knew what the hell he was doing.
0: He'd been around forever. He was the one famous for when uh, Al Jolson was doing one of his extended things where he stops the play and brings up the lights and says, Ah, you know how this ends. You know, let me sing all your favorite songs for the next two hours. <laughs> and Milton Berle had a date with one of the showgirls who was up on stage. Oh yeah,
1: Berle got around.
0: Yeah, and he got up, walked over, got the girl, and said, "When you're all done, Jolie, turn off the lights."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved him, man. And I and I told I was I was uh, explicit with him uh, regarding our friendship. I I t- mentioned to him on several occasions. I said, Milton, I want you to know that I don't take any of this time. ...that I spend with you for granted, ever. I, I love you dearly, and the things that I learn from you are are valuable oh, beyond oh, yes. belief. And uh, and thank you for being there. And, you know, he's one of those guys that you just don't expect to die. Much yeah. like you, Burl. Yeah,
0: I, I expected myself to die a few times in yeah. the past two years. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I didn't.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Other people did, much to my shock and chagrin.
1: So it, it's becoming increasingly apparent you don't have a guest...
0: Uh, I am uh, going to uh, be doing some wonderful things today. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, actually, it's that summertime, you know, and a lot of people read books in the summertime.
1: I guess I've heard that rumor.
0: Yeah, and so I figured I'd give people a heads up on what some of the true crime books are coming out for the summer. No, well, that sounds like great filler. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I got tons of verbiage here.
1: Yeah, it's either, it's either that or don't do a show, so yeah, okay. Yeah, hell, well, right. <laughs>
0: Okay, yeah. And uh, I should tell the true crime story of, of uh Poor, poor Mark is on his way back to Vaughn's.
1: You know to get that. Get, How long does it take? That's that's six minutes
0: away. Well, no, it's the Vaughn's in uh, Santa Clarita. Oh,
1: no, 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 it's not. <laughs> yes, he
0: picked me up today.
1: We okay. went to Vaughn's in uh,
0: Stevenson Ranch.
1: Well, that's two mistakes he made. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> you see that? Or I was going to be walking here. Yeah. So it's could a be, long
0: walk. Could be good for your heart. Yeah, well, my heart needs it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, getting back to true crime uncensored on LLRadio, live.com The standard of the industry. When we started this program, what, 11, 12 years ago?
1: Too
0: long. Uh, we were just about the only one around. And we may be, we still may be someday. But uh, you can say, okay, Burl, what's coming out that we should be looking for? Well, I'll tell you, there are some great true crime books that are just coming out now for the summer, and some that will be coming out. Uh, now, I'm going to do them in inverse order here, because there's one I'd really like to have this woman on the show and I uh, hopefully I will in the near future uh, the book is called under a full moon the last lynching in Kansas by Alicia K Hill you might want to write that down under a full moon the last lynching in Kansas by Alicia K Hill the last lynching in Kansas tells of a tragic abduction and death of an eight-year-old girl at the hands of a repeat offender in 1932. Now, this, uh, this crime stands apart as the last mob lynching in Kansas. Based on true events, this account takes a deep dive into the psychosocial complexities of pioneer times and their impact on this crime and the justice meted out to the perpetrator. Now, it starts back in uh, 1881. That was a good year, as you may remember, if you're as old as I am. Probably had your bar mitzvah then, in 1881. Uh, written in chronological narrative, nonfiction format... The author, uh, Alice K. Hill, who I would love to have on the show, vividly weaves the stories of the victims and the families. Now, she reveals how mental and physical abuse, social isolation, privatization of homesteading, strong dreams, and even stronger personalities all factored into the criminal and his crimes. Now, spanning the years of settlement to the beginning of the Dust Bowl, historic events are lived as daily news by seven families whose lives become intertwined. Is historically accurate, written with an intimate knowledge of the area under a full moon, is as personal as a family diary, a photo album found in an attic trunk, and will remain with the reader long after this book is closed. You are invited in this book to share in an intimate memory of a decent man who with no previous malice found himself involved in the last lynching in Kansas, as he describes this funeral of 8-year-old Dorothy Hunter. Quote, and, of course, the little girl had her doll in her arms in the casket and everything. And when the sermon was over, why everyone in church was crying, and that's when the deal was raked up that we go hang him. These were the words of William Thomas, age 86, as he was interviewed in the late 1980s. Over 50 years had passed since he played his part in the swift and sudden justice, but the momentum of mob action is as fresh as when it occurred in the spring of 1932. Now, the author... She's a fifth-generation Kansasist, Kansanite. Is that what you call them? Kansan, that's the proper term, on her mom's side. And she spent most of her life tending the soil and tending livestock, and the livestock were very appreciative, and I think they write a few uh, kind words about her at the back of the book. Uh, She's the one who wrote the book, and it really is an astonishing piece of research and just uh, a harrowing, harrowing story of this 8-year-old girl who was kidnapped, held for 24 hours by this jerk uh, guy. He says he was drunk. Doesn't quite remember all of it. But uh, when they finally get him, they decide to lynch him. That's not exactly a legal thing to do, and uh, although it did have its popularity. And sure enough, they did. That was the last lynching in Kansas. This book, I believe, is either available now or will be available next week. And I check up on that one. It's called "The uh, Under the Full Under a Full Moon: The Last Lynching in Kansas" by Alice K. Hill. And uh, whew. now, if you go back and uh, look, after finding the body of Dorothy Hunter, eight-year-old Seldon schoolgirl, in a haystack at a killage today, Sheriff Ed McGinley returned to Colby without Richard Reed, 53-year-old former convict, who confessed. They kidnapped, assaulted, and killed the child. Now, McGinley refused to say where his prisoner had been taken for safety from a mob of Selden citizens and 50 automobiles who sought the slayer as he led officers to the hiding place of the girl's body. Yep. And then they just couldn't wait for justice to be done. They had to kick down the door of the jail and haul the guy off, throw the rope over the tree, and hang the guy. Well, he did say, at least you're hanging the right guy. So if you're looking for a good true crime book to read this summer, that's one to get. I wish I had a new one for you to read, but I don't yet, so you have to go buy some of my old ones. Now, Susan Hall, say, I never heard of Susan Hall as a true crime writer. Well, that's because she's not. (laughs) She's a novice true crime writer, but she's investigated, written, and published three books on genealogy. Her years in the business world included writing articles and manuals on a variety of stuff, like instruction manuals used in teaching and the workings of machinery. So what does she do in her spare time? Listen to this. She has put together, brace yourself, ladies and gentlemen, the World Encyclopedia of Serial Killers. Now, this is and is going to be a must-have for any true crime fan. World Encyclopedia of Serial Killers is the most comprehensive set of its kind in the history of true crime publishing. Written and compiled by Susan Hall, it's a four-volume set. It has more than 1,600 entries of male and female serial killers from around the world. You thought we only had them here. Uh Uh-uh. Got them in Australia, got them in USA, got them in England, got them in Botswana. Defined by the FBI as a person who murders three or more people over a period of time, but who takes maybe, oh, weeks or months off for vacation between murders. Serial killers have walked among us from the dawn of time, as these books will definitely demonstrate. While the entrees to this volume will continue to grow, FBI estimates... This is a comforting thought. FBI estimates that there are at least 50, yes, 50 serial killers operating here in the United States at any given time. The World Encyclopedia of Serial Killers is as complete as possible through the end of 2017. The World Encyclopedia of Serial Killers, as I mentioned, is the most comprehensive of its kind. And in June 2020, that's this month, the set begins with Volume 1, letters A through D. The entries include Ted Bundy, the Candyman Dean Corll, Angel of Death Killer Donald Harvey, the ABC Killer didn't work for the network. And the bodies in the barrels murders. Now you'll find these killers and approximately 500 others in this first book in the series of the World Encyclopedia of Serial Killers. The series continues with volume two, letters E through L, include El Loco, Luis Alfredo Garavito, the Happy Face Killer, Keith Hunter Jasperson, interstate killer Larry Eiler, Godfather of Matamos Adolfo de Jesus Constanza, Constanza, excuse me Golden State Killer Joseph James D'Angelo, and approximately 350 charming others. And, of course, two more volumes to follow. So if you're into serial killers and into true crime, you'll definitely want to get the volume ones available right now. It's called The World Encyclopedia of Serial Killers. Mmm. Have to get that put that on my bookshelf. Pretend I read the entire thing. <laughs> that, takes a, that takes a hell of a lot of research to write the true encyclopedia. Then we have this one, brand new, coming out The True Crime Chronicles, classic journalism, with commentary by New York Times best-selling author Mike Rothmiller. Now, here's a question for you What do Wyatt Earp, Bell Guinness, Bigfoot of the Renegade, Billy the Kid, and Dr. H. H. Holmes and the Black Hand have in common. Most of the fact we're all in this book. They were all subjects of true crime newspaper reporting in the 1800s. And now these stories, and that of many others, are brought together in their original form in a two-volume set, True Crime Chronicles, Serial Killers, Outlaws, and Justice, real crime stories from the 1800s, compiled and commented on by Patrick Gallagher tells a true story of bigamy and murder until death do us and it do it do us <laughs> in August 1945 Gladys Lincoln of Sacramento contacted prosperous dr. W.D. Broadhurst of Caldwell Idaho I've been there Caldwell Idaho and rekindled a romance of 20 years earlier after many passionate letter exchanges and several sexually charged meetings wonder how much they charge for that sex. They were married in Reno, Nevada, May 20th, 1946. After a passion-filled three-day weekend together, the doctor returned to his home in Idaho, and Gladys returned to Sacramento to her husband. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I do if they got pictures in that one. Mike Rothmiller, you probably heard the name. He's a New York Times best-selling author, historian, former cop, army medic, also a former TV reporter. Award winning documentary television producer, TV host for ESPN, PBS, and other international television markets. His non fiction book, My Hero Military Kids Write About Their Moms and Dads from St. Martin's Press, received international acclaim and is the only book to have forwards written by three living presidents and General Norman Schwarzkopf. This guy's had quite a good career, I'd say. Additionally, he's been corporate president, CEO, and director of three divisions of Sony Electronics. EMCS America, and he briefed the President of the United States. I don't know what he briefed him on, but the briefing was brief. You know, I read about people with careers like that and I go, what have I done with my life? I played the hits. (laughs) Whereas John Bauer of the John Bauer Concert Company said, Burl, on your tombstone it's going to say, he sold a lot of tickets. (laughs) Thanks, John. That's when I had to reevaluate my entire life. Uh, am I working on a new true crime book yeah working on a couple of them. as a matter of fact we uh we tried to have Kelly Lee Kelly Lee Muskowitz on the show a couple of weeks ago unfortunately the network stream dropped about 12 minutes in but that's a hell of a story I'll give you a little brief on this because Frank Gerardo Jr and I are just starting working on this one and uh, it'll be out probably uh, within the year or maybe beginning of next year it is a weird story, a very strange story. There's a guy in prison here in California, been in prison for 18 years for murder, and Frank and I, after thoroughly investigating, we think the guy's innocent. Why? Well, we'll tell you in the book, but I'll give you a little sneak, sneak preview here. There's a couple of Russian guys, got a relative. He's been busted. He's on his way to prison. Now, how can they reduce his prison sentence? Well, how about if these two crooks also become federal agents and bust people and arrest people or have them arrested? For every person that they get arrested, they get points. And you get enough points and their relative doesn't have to go to prison or gets a reduced sentence. How do you like that for corruption? Well, if you can get points for busting people for robberies, busting people for some scam, think how many points you could get if you solved a murder. It gets real easy if you arrange for the murder yourself and then pin it on somebody. We think that's exactly what happened. That's what we allege happened. And we got some attorneys from that time period, attorneys who worked the case, who's willing to come forward and say, you know, Burl Frank, I think you're absolutely right kid got railroaded and he's still in the slammer to this day he doesn't even know right now that we're going to try to get him out <laughs> I don't know if we will or not but we're working on it we're just starting that book right now and uh, the reason we had Kelly Lee Kelly Lee Moskowitz is her full name now is that she was she was one of those three kids in Hollywood back then 1980s ran away from home and for good reason came here and uh, she kept getting arrested for good reasons, at least for good reasons then. That's back when pot was illegal, and she kept selling it, kept getting busted. But she was a juvenile, acting very juvenile. And she meets this other runaway. This runaway is 11 years old. I mean, a kid runs away from home at 11 years old, goes to Hollywood, on the street. Not a wise idea, but he wants a mommy figure. Who does he pick? Picks her friend Kelly. He even takes her maiden name. It's his own. That's the one we allege got framed for the murder. And he's still in prison. Not when he was 11, he's a little bit older than that. But we're working on it. That book will be uh, coming out uh, probably next year. We've got to write it first. At least I gave you a sneak peek at what Frank and I are up to. And, of course, what about Stealing Manhattan, Volume 2, Volume 1, Volume 3? Yep, Volume 1's done. Our agent is doing something spectacular with it as far as TV and film rights go. I might actually make a living off this book. It's a three-volume set, follows the, uh, the career of our friend Punch and his family. The first family of diamond thieves who stole over a billion, counted over a billion dollars in diamonds, gold, precious gems, masterminded by his father who got away with everything. Yep, never busted, never in prison, retired, off of the old country now, sent me a nice message, said, Burl, why don't you come visit and we'll go fishing. (laughs) He's, what, uh, 83 now, 82, 83? But he's still alive and, well, happy, healthy, and got away with everything. And, again, so did his uh, ex-wife, who uh, who lives in Florida. She's gorgeous, yeah. We went dancing together. (laughs) And, of course, Punch our buddy, the son, he's the only one who got busted, but uh, he wound up spending uh, too much time in prison. Research shows that actually, was, he had a great, he had a great attorney, and a good, favorable judge. He was going to do six months. Got, they busted him on, on two heists, which they used phony names. That they, they had that on him, but he did something kind of stupid for the first time. Got into a fight with some Albanians at Tavern on the Green in New York, and they get in a, a chase in BMWs. He crashes the car, and out of the glove box comes his real identification, with the cops see. The real identification that identifies him as still being wanted for a crime in New Jersey, a crime he didn't do, by the way. <laughs> and that made everything come out. Next thing you know, they're sending him away for 16 years instead of six months. So what's the guy to do in that situation? Here he is, white kid, incredibly wealthy. I mean, they were already multimillionaires before he, he did his first heist at the age of like 15 and a half, 16. That was a $20 million heist when he was 15, 16 years old. Figures if he goes into prison as a rich white kid, he's going to be kind of like low man on the totem pole. Well, being as his folks have sent him away to the... Uh, the most expensive, exclusive boarding school in the world in Switzerland. He can speak uh, about seven or eight languages, fluently impersonate any nationality. So he goes into prison pretending to be a Puerto Rican gangster and pulls it off. If there was an Academy Award for Best Acting Performance behind bars, Punch would have got it. He even had a solid gold chain around his neck in prison. (laughs) that no one dare touch because this Puerto Rican gangster would nuke him. Meanwhile, our friend Daniel Jenis, also known as the apologetic bandit, because <laughs> when he robbed people, which he did for a week years ago, his wife didn't even know he had a, he had a drug problem. He, he had managed to become addicted to heroin, and he had the money to afford the habit until the money was all gone. And so he we figured, well, gee, how am I going to support this happening? I'm going to go have to rob people, but I'm not comfortable doing that. So he would go to this other part of town and walk up to people and say, excuse me, uh, I really apologize, but due to circumstances beyond my control, uh, I'm going to have to rob you. Is that okay? <laughs> and if they said no, go jump in the lake. You're going to okay, go, fine, you move on. Uh, so he robbed ten people. Ten people went along with it. He had a pocket knife in his pocket, so that makes it... Uh, an armed, armed robbery, got 10 years in prison. And while in prison, Daniel meets this Puerto Rican gangster. Right? Well, once he get out of prison, he sees this guy, the Puerto Rican gangster, and finds out he's not a gangster, and he's not Puerto Rican. <laughs> he raises ragdoll kittens. So he turns me on to this guy. And uh, that's our pal Punch. World's second greatest diamond thief. His dad being number one. He's been on the show several times and will be again. And uh, the book "Stealing Manhattan," American Panthers stealing Manhattan, Volume One, hopefully will be out this uh, in the next twelve months. Then there's Volume Two and Volume Three. It's so exciting. As you go. How do people? How do people do this stuff? How do they get away with it? And uh, if you've heard him on the show, he explained how he got away with it. Now how we didn't. Oh, I thought it was fascinating and how people get caught you know doing crimes there's a thing called criminal pride and this has been greatly researched let's say you're a criminal let's say you just play the hits you're a criminal on the side the first time you do a crime you plan it out perfectly you make sure all your you, know, you got everything just down pat you do the crime and it works great now you're going to do it again so again you plan it perfectly And it works. And then after a while, what they call criminal pride creeps in. And you think that the reason you're successful at these crimes is not because you planned them so perfectly, but because it's you. (laughs) So you stop planning, you stop covering all your bases. The next thing you know, pop goes the weasel. You're busted. And when Punch's situation was twice. The first time, because he violated one of the great rules of doing heists. Once you're out, you don't go back. But you know what he did? He got out, and he went back. Because there was one more bag, one more bag of valuable watches inside. And if he could just go back in and get it, everything would be fine. So, of course, what does he do? He goes back in. Big mistake punch. Because the, uh, the guy who's uh, watching out for him wasn't out, went for a walk around the block, didn't see all the cops show up. So he goes back in the building, and all the cops are there, and the dog sniffing for him. So he hides in the wall for hours. Staying quiet. But the dog found him. The kid didn't get the dirt bike either, but the dog found him. So there he was, caught, captured, gave him a fake name, (laughs) walked. Next time around, he and his buddy who was a, uh, actually was on the uh, University of Washington crew, they're doing a heist. In the same building is a guy who goes crazy, kills the cat, chops the cat's head off, and throws the cat's head out the window. Then he kills the parakeet, chops the parakeet's head off and throws it out the window. Running out of domestic animals, he kills his father, chops his dad's head off, throws the head out the window. This gets the attention, of course, of law enforcement, who go looking for the guy who threw the heads out the window. In the process of seeking this homicidal maniac, who do they stumble upon but Punch and his buddy, doing a multimillion-dollar heist? (laughs) He said, oh, no, really, officers, we're not doing a heist. We were just uh, looking for a place to uh, have a joint. He said, yeah, we well, were going to a joint, all right. And they haul him away. Yep. And, of course, they gave him fake names, and they had super glue on their fingertips, so their uh, <laughs> fingerprints didn't match much of anything. And they let him out on their personal recognizance. Why, you ask? Why would we let these guys out? Tell you a secret. If you're charged with third-degree burglary in New York City, or anywhere else for that matter, it doesn't matter what you're stealing or how much you steal. It's the situational conditions of the theft itself. If you do a burglary in the middle of the night when there's nobody around, no human contact, contactless theft, and you don't hurt anybody, you don't interact with anybody. It doesn't matter whether you're stealing a uh, arc welder or a million dollars in diamonds. It's the same crime. A lip slap, a wrist slap offense first time around gets you a suspended sentence. I mean, there are so many third-degree burglaries in Manhattan every day that they're thinking of naming an intersection third and burglary. So, that's a joke. Uh, you can't hear the audience laughing because we don't have a live audience and they probably wouldn't laugh anyway. So, that's why you get away with it. You have super glue on your fingers. When they bring you in, you give a fake name. They let you out on personal recognizance. And you vanish. Psh. Punch was, uh, shall so was say, on the lamb, poor innocent creature. For four years, using a variety of different names, in Manhattan, hiding in plain sight... And it didn't catch him for a while. <laughs> Until he's walking out of the uh, the model building just as the head of the major crime squad is walking in or vice versa. And he's wearing the same vest he was wearing on a video they had of a guy who uh, went into the home security computers and turned off the alarms. Who could that be? Could that be the guy wearing the same vest? Yeah, I guess so. What I find interesting is that Punch, who I know personally, we've spent time together. I went back to Florida and met him and his mom. And we even went to the, uh, the casino where he wasn't allowed because he'd won too much money there. Was it $1.3, point six million million, two two years in a row at the Hard Rock Casino? And you know where he won the money? On the slot machines in the high limit room. What are the odds of that? I mean, that's just bizarre. You know, if you're going to win a million, over a million dollars two years in a row, you don't expect it to be on the slot machines. But I can testify, having seen it in person, this guy has a magic touch when it comes to slot machines. Never seen anything like it. We go in there. He's not supposed to be a but We go in there, we go to the high limit room, shoves a bunch of money into two slot machines side by side, and he says... Okay, Burl, I'll raise you to the jackpot. We just have... Uh, Within five minutes, ding, 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 bang. Hits the jackpot. We leave that casino before they can stop us. <laughs> and we go to another casino. Goes to the high limit room. Does he hit the jackpot again? Of course. The guy always hits the damn jackpot. You and I, we could, we could go there and try to do the same thing not happening why this human being can go into a high limit room go sit down at the uh, slot machines put in the money and hit the jackpot predictably that's what got him in trouble at the hard rock because he started showing off crowd gathers around hey watch me hit another jackpot Bing, bang it's another jackpot that does tend to get the attention of security and the people gazing at you from above, in case you haven't noticed, you ever been to a casino, they're watching the whole time. They got eyes in the sky. They're watching the whole thing. In fact, I got up, from, I was in the stratosphere, a casino, and I, uh, I got up from one machine and walked to the other. On the way, I dropped the little ticket that tells me how much credit I got to go from one machine to the other because you don't use real money anymore. You use paper ticket things. I dropped it, and I got to the, uh, the other machine. I go to put it in. It's not there. I check all my pockets. I what it's got to be between that machine and this machine, so I go back and retrace my steps. Can't find it. So I go to one of the security guys, and I say, what, uh, what do we do about this? He calls upstairs. They got videotaped. They got watch the whole thing. They see this other person, notice that I dropped my ticket, he walks over, picks it up, goes immediately to the cash-out, puts it in, takes the money, he's gone. Sorry, Mr. Bear, that's showbiz. Yeah, it sure was. They want my money. $93, not the most money I ever had in the world, but it is money. Yep. The Las Vegas is a fascinating place. Uh, I went there for the uh, the mob sit-down, which uh, actually, we've, we played that on the radio, and I should... Uh, I recorded the whole thing, and I should post it back up on uh, on Anchor FM and iTunes for you. So you can listen to it in case you missed it a few years ago. But what they had there was they had criminals, <laughs> right? And then they had the feds who busted them, all on the same panel. You know, Henry Hill was there, drunk as usual. Uh, and I was actually there as his guest, which was very nice. He paid my way, paid my room, everything. And you had uh, various guys, including a murderer, <laughs> who I met. Oh, cold eyes on that guy.
2: <sighs>
0: mm. He was a hitman for the mob. I said, did you ever feel bad about killing those people? Nah, no, they had it coming. Okay, thank you. Uh, and so you had these guys who somehow would like cut a deal with the feds where they wound up in the witness protection program or something like that. And they're on stage with the people who arrested them. So that, to me, was fascinating. They're sitting there yacking about it, like, hey, remember the good old days when I was chasing you, trying to throw you in federal prison? <laughs> you go, yeah, I remember, you ass. And I figured, boy, if they if they bombed that building, you'd wipe out all the top living criminals and the guys who caught them. But it was a Vegas bomb sit-down, recorded the whole thing. And I'll post that back up on there uh, because it hasn't been up. I mean, maybe it's up on uh, uh, Cloud or whatever it is. But uh, it's not up on iTunes or Anchor FM or Spotify. And we do all these ads for Spotify on this show, as you probably noticed. Listen to the show on Spotify. I listen to it on Anchor. <laughs> I do have Spotify, though, on my phone, so I can let's do it there. So I'll post that one up. It is really interesting to hear the the guy, who's the, the, the murderer or hitman, shall we say, talking with the federal agent who, who caught him are like reminiscing like old buddies. Hey, remember the time I arrested you? In fact, the movie uh, My Blue Heaven with uh, Steve Martin is based on uh, some of these stories from the guys who were in the Witness Protection Program. Interesting true story about where I uh, grew up, Walla Walla, Washington, the town that time forgot. Walla Walla, Washington was a destination for people in the Witness Protection Program. But here's the catch. You have two different uh, law enforcement agencies putting people in witness protection. You've got the U.S. Marshals. Then you got the FBI. They don't compare notes. They're both sending people to the same small town, Walla Walla, Washington. So all of a sudden, here you are, the last place on earth they're ever going to look for you is Walla Walla, Washington, Right. I mean, that's the last place on earth that any Chicago and New York mobsters are going to be hanging out Walla Walla. That's where they sent them all. So they get there and look around, and there's their old competitors, their old buddies. Well, they're not just going to sit back and do nothing. So they went into business, legal business, of course. Nothing questionable. And uh, went into the onion business, from what I hear, and it did very, very well. Perfectly legit. But uh, imagine the, the surprise of these East Coast mobsters looking around the little farm town of Walla Walla and seeing their old crime buddies. Hey, remember the time? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. You do, too? Yeah, I remember. So there they are. So they based that movie, My Blue Heaven, with uh, Steve Martin. And what's his name? The guy from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, who you don't see anymore? Rick Moranis? Yes, thank you. Rick Moranis is, uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Magic Matt Allen remembers that. What happened to him? Why don't you see him anymore? He's still around. Does he do anything? I don't know. He doesn't know. Why don't you ask him? You know everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Matt Allen and I have one thing in common. We played the hits. We have two things in common, although his, his in common aspect of this, which involves Orson Welles, is more close up and personal than mine. If I remember correctly, Matt Allen was hanging out at the Magic Castle. If he wants to tell the story, he can. But He was hanging out at the Magic Castle, and there is Orson Welles. Yes, the incredible, brilliant, famous movie director Orson Welles, who I just watched uh, *Mr. Arkadin* confidential report uh, just the other night. Brilliant film, of course. And uh, Matt, of course, only knows Orson Welles from the *We Will Sell No Wine Before Its Time*. <laughs> Huh?
1: Amazon wine.
0: Yeah. That wine. They didn't sell it before its time either. What have I got on my head? Oh, my uh, thingy. Oh, it's my CG boy. Was that, was that food still there? Uh, I don't know.
2: Uh, yes, sir. Yes? The lot person in charge of
0: outdoor lot cart, Yeah. put it inside the store. Oh, you had to go see the manager? You still have the receipt, so you proved it was yours? Oh, the receipt was in the bag. It was off my
2: Albertson slash Bonds just for you part. So, uh... So, nothing to check.
0: So, you got everything all right? Everything's there. Everything's there, including my PepsiCo? Yes. Hey, fantastic. And my chicken? <laughs> I don't think uh, Mike's plugged in. but. uh you could use this one. I was just filling time, telling stories about Matt Allen. So anyway, Orson Welles is in the Magic Castle watching somebody's act, and Matt, very hopefully, goes over and uh, tells Orson Welles, I've seen this guy before, and he's done such and such, and you should have him do so-and-so. And Orson Welles says, thank you. Now, my experience with Orson Welles wasn't that up close and personal. I was hired by uh, somebody... <laughs> someone who should know better, to write and produce uh, the uh, radio campaign for Orson Welles' film, F for Fake. And, of course, Orson Welles had to approve it. And so he did, which is very nice of me because it was what's this crap? No, he said, you turn down the lights, we'll start the projector and show you the scenes of the new Orson Welles' film, F for Fake. And, of course, with audio, we have you know, things from the film. F for Fake stars some of the biggest frauds in the world. Howard Hughes, Elmere, who is Elmere, world's greatest art forger. And among the frauds we list is Orson Welles. <laughs> he liked that. So he approved the commercial and it ran all over the country where the film did not do as well as Orson Welles hoped. <laughs> but that's show business and show business is my life. Do you realize that if Orson Welles was alive today, he would not have to spend all of his time trying to get film to make movies with, he could shoot his films on video, like they do with, uh, you and, know, Hostel.
2: And he could have, uh, he could have
0: control. He could have who?
2: Control.
0: Control, yes. Right. They would always kick Orson out of I the uh, editing room and have bring somebody else in, like with the magnificent Ambersons. Oi, Gavolt. But uh, there are a lot, but if you go to the Criterion Collection, which actually has an app for your phone now, You'll see there's like three different versions of Mr. Arkadin, 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 Ark, however you pronounce it, Confidential Report. They're all about five, six minutes different in time from each other. But there's one called the Corinth version, which apparently is the most accurate uh, version of the Orson Welles film. Remember they did the uh, reconstruction of uh, Touch of Evil a few years back, based on Orson Welles' notes. I like that film. The other one is The Stranger with Edward G. Robinson.
2: I, uh, you tell this one. I think his entrance in The Third Man uh, is one of the best cinematic moments. How is that done? Uh, describe it to us. Describe it. It's, uh, an, it's dark. He's, you hear him. He's crawling out the sewer? No, he's, he's, in, he's kind of in the shadows. And it's, the, it's his appearance and, and the, the whole storyline leading up to that moment.
0: And then they made him a hero on the radio, Harry Lyme, before his life ended in the sewers of Paris or whatever it is. He was a good guy.
2: I have the box set. Really? Of um, uh, Citizen Kane. Yes. And it comes with the RKO, what, 189 or whatever it was. Yeah. I don't remember the exact number of, which is the story of how, what happened to Citizen Kane and how, it, uh, how Hearst got it blackballed. Yeah. And Orson had to, had to four-wall theaters on his own mm-hmm. to screen the film. That's right. Uh, um, and then that, yeah.
0: Yeah, because uh, yeah, uh, uh, Hughes controlled the newspapers and he oh, wouldn't Hearst. take any advertising Hearst. for it. Hearst, not Hughes. No, Hearst. Yeah, Hearst, excuse me. William Randolph.
2: Well, and it's supposed to be, the, the movie is supposed to be based on him
0: and what he really objected to is uh, Rosebud (laughs) that's what he called uh, Marion Davis Davis? his lover that's what he called her private parts Rosebud and Wells used that in the movie ticked him off no end yeah that's the problem with being Orson Welles (laughs) hey this is a great piece of chicken we got uh, five more minutes. If you got something brilliant to say, I'm gonna uh,
2: eat this chicken. Something brilliant
0: to say? And
2: I use this microphone. Five more minutes. Mm. <clears throat> so you talked about uh, you talked about the other books that are coming out, right? Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, but you have some you have some stuff coming out this year. Maybe. <laughs> what do you mean, maybe?
0: It depends on how the deal is cut. It's a three-volume set. Stealing Manhattan Volume 1 is done Ready to come out anytime And you're trying to time it all Damn it all With the book The documentary Cut a deal for the film And perhaps a scripted TV series Based on it because it's so damn good And Sean Sullivan Layer Cake New York He's working on this Excellent. And he's a talented guy He's got kind of the Andy Warhol of uh, 2020. Yeah,
2: um, I, I did the research for his interview. We did did you, so him. you know all about him. Yes. Also,
0: he used to be one of the biggest weed dealers in New York.
2: Um, <clears throat> well, you know, criminal element, criminal element. Um, I enjoyed the, uh, his art of the uh, scantily clad young ladies. Mm-hmm.
0: There is a lot of scantily clad young ladies, uh, young ladies in the art world
2: interesting. I, um, uh, during this, uh, lovely, uh, sequestering, I've discovered that I, I'm quite the fan of scantily clad young ladies. In person? In person and on the computer. Well, because. It
1: simply means you're not a hobo.
0: Yeah. Well, no, it could be, um, uh, bicoastal. <laughs> it's, possible. <laughs> it's possible. Or you could just be versatile you got to be careful because you never know what age those people are. I saw a picture that uh, Kelly Lee gave me of when she was 11 years old. You'd swear she was 18 or 19. She was only 11. She's one of those girls that matured very quickly, at least physiologically. Oh, uh, da-da-da-da. I know that song. Uh, KJR.
2: So,
0: oh, Burl,
2: you have an assignment.
0: Yeah. You have to get this lovely lady on. The uh, oh. oh. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Brings back memories.
1: Oh! Oh. oh. Yeah, ladies and your host. Is yeah,
0: host is having a good hey, guys, time here. Get
1: on the mic and see if it's working.
0: Hello. Oh, uh, it's working now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I have to plug in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ow.
2: Say goodnight, man. Ask the... me what's next. Okay, Burl, what's next?
0: Magic Matt Allen, the Demons of Decadence, live from the lighting up loud.